0: Matthew chapter 6, we have a rhetorical question. Rhetorical question, I don't want you to answer this. I always have to tell that to my students in my classroom because if I don't preface it with a rhetorical question as something that you don't answer, they'll all answer it. I'm like, no, no, stop, stop. All right, so how many people here are happy with their prayer life? That you just look at how you pray and the frequency of your prayers and the fervency of your prayers and you think, I'm content, I'm happy, I think I do it enough. If you answered yes, you're in the drastic minority of people. That most people look at their prayer lives, and when they look at their prayer lives, they feel a sense of lack. They feel a sense of failure. They feel like they're not doing it enough, and when they're doing it, they're just too distracted. We are going to be starting a short sermon series, about three weeks long, on this this, uh, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us how to pray. Because we, like the disciples in Jesus today, we also need to know how to pray. Gary Miller has a book called Calling on the Name of the Lord, and he tells us that evangelicals in America are giving up on prayer, that people are just giving up on prayer. And if it's true, we have to ask why. And in his book, he does give a few reasons. One of the reasons he says that we give up on prayer is because we are cynical. We think, well, if God is sovereign, he's in all control and everything is happening at his will and at his command, what's the point of praying? Do my prayers have an impact? Sometimes we give up on praying, uh, according to Gary Miller, because we are not desperate enough. We are so comfortable in our lives where we are and what we have that we never miss a meal. We have electricity. We have safety. We have security. And so we feel we just don't need God, and we forget him, and we give up on prayer. So we give up on prayer because we're sinful we give up on prayer because we're not desperate enough. This mini series I'm hoping will will encourage us and drive us to the sense of a need for prayer cuz I'm like you. That when I look at my prayer life as a pastor even I'm I'm not satisfied. I keep telling myself I wish I could pray more. I wish I could pray with more fervency. And so I'm I'm in the same boat. And so it's my prayer that as we go through this text in the next couple weeks that it just plants a seed that grows in us of this desire and this need for prayer. So today we're going to be looking at verse 5 through 8 of Matthew chapter 6. This is kind of the the, the introduction to the Lord's prayer. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. We're going to go ahead and continue on through the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us From the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today we want to talk about the heart in prayer. The heart in prayer. Like as we pray, as we go to the Father with our concerns, with our requests. uh, What should our heart be? What should our posture be in coming to the Father? The first thing that we are told, I'm going to be turning around constantly. Uh, The first thing we're told is that we need to have genuine prayers. Look at verse 5 in the first part of chapter 6. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father, who is in secret. The first thing we see here is in verse 5. And in verse 5, he says, when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray, or if you want to pray. He says when you pray. What, What Jesus is saying is that we cannot give up on prayer. That it is an expectation that Jesus has that his disciples will pray. And we see even that Jesus is opponents throughout the bible when he starts talking about the hypocrites he's making he's making a slide primarily at the pharisees of the day who would who would put on their garb and would would use flowery words and try to pray to be seen even they prayed the disciples prayed the disciples in luke chapter 11 where, where he gives the lord's prayer in luke chapter 11 the disciples actually come to jesus and say lord can you teach us how to pray I imagine when they were around their campfires and when they were on the road and they were in their meetings, the disciples heard Jesus pray. And I just imagine them saying, I want to pray like that. I I want to know God the Father the way Jesus knows God the Father. I, I want to commune with God in that way. And so there's just this expectation to pray. Martin Luther has this quote. Actually, that's Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon has... This quote. That's just the wrong quote. I'm going to skip it, and we're going to go to Martin Luther. As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. If you're an electrician, your job is to wire buildings. If you're a doctor, your job is to mend bodies. If you're a teacher, your job is to educate students. If you are a Christian, Your job, your calling in this life is to pray. And so Jesus begins to tell us how we ought and ought not to pray. He begins by telling us what not to do. He says we need to not have disingenuous prayers. What he's saying is that when you pray, you are not going to put on a show in front of other people. Have you ever done this? I know I'm guilty of it. I know it's... As a pastor, it's like everywhere I go, I'm, I'm the one called on to pray oftentimes. And so sometimes I'm like caught off guard. I shouldn't be I'm caught off guard. It's like, oh, well, I know enough prayer lingo. I know enough phrases where I can just drop a prayer anytime. But but it can be somewhat disingenuous. And I'm doing it not because I'm trying to communion with the Father, but because I, I I'm putting on a show for others. And this is actually saying something about our faith. Jesus says that our faith, though it's supposed to have aspects of being public, our faith is also to have this rich privateness about it as well. He is saying that, yes, we are supposed to proclaim the gospel publicly and work publicly, but at the same time, we're supposed to have this, this relationship with God between the two of us. Prayer is not about status. Prayer is not about looking good. Prayer is not done To show other people our holiness, but rather prayer, genuine prayer, is about intimacy with the Father. It's about communing with the Father. Albert Moeller, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, reminds us what prayer is not. He says, prayer is not about informing God. We do that, don't we? Do you see what's happening here? I need to inform you about what's happening in my life in case you haven't noticed things are kind of falling apart. Let me tell you, he said prayer is not about informing God. He said it's not about negotiating with God. We do that as well. As a teacher, Lord, if you just help me pass this test, I promise I'll be good. I promise I'll fight sin. I promise I follow you. So it's not about informing God. It's not about negotiating with God. And it's not even about manipulating with God. But what is the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is not about getting our fleshly desires met and having an easy life, but the, the, the point of prayer and the goal of prayer is communion with God, being with Him, being in His presence. He speaks to us through His Word, and we speak to Him with our prayers. It's a foundational relationship between a Creator and His creation. Now we need the Spurgeon quote. There it is. Alright, you will observe that these desires to communion with God is intensified by the failure of all other sources of consolation. I think one of the things that keeps us from prayer is that we are not finding our consolation, our hope, and our comfort in God. But we're still finding our consolation in other things. We're not running to the arms of God, comfort and consolation, but we're running to the warm embrace of Netflix. Or we're we're running to the warm embrace of alcohol. Or we're running to the warm embrace of a relationship, hoping that that will comfort us and that will soothe us and that will bring us consolation. What Jesus is pointing to, us, Spurgeon is saying here, is that when we see all those things can't meet our needs and that the only consolation, the only hope we have is in God, it changes the way we pray. pray. So we need to make sure that we are recognizing What we are running to for our consolation. What is it for you? What do you run to to console you, to comfort you? Instead of running to God. I think genuine prayer is also about praying the Father's desires rather than our own. When we run to those other desires, what are we trying to do? We're trying to meet these fleshly, these oftentimes evil desires within ourselves. But when we pray and if we want to pray genuine prayers, one of the things that we need to do is make sure that we are praying the desires of the Father. That we're not praying just for our desires of, man, I really wish I had this job. I really wish I had a raise. I really wish this relationship would work out. But we're rather, we're praying God's desires. One of the ways that the Bible talks about this is in the book of John. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. It says this, This is the confidence we have before him. So this is how we pray with confidence. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we have asked for of him. So how do we know that our prayers will be heard? How can we be confident that our prayers will be answered favorably? It's whenever we stop praying for our own evil desires and we start praying for the desires of God himself. How do we do that? How do we pray for God's desires? I think we do that in essence through praying scripture back to him. If you have a pen, I want you to write down a name of a book. Highly recommend it. I'll I'll try to remember. Jason, remember to post this book on Facebook. He's, he's sending me a text right now. All right, there's this book by Donald Whitney. It's called Praying the Bible. And what Donald Whitney does is he shows us how to pray Scripture back to God. If you're, if you're like me, sometimes you get tired with your rote prayers. I remember as a child growing up, I had my nightly nighttime prayer. I'd lay in my bed, and I would just go through My phone just vibrated. He just sent me a text in church. Oh, goodness. So I, re- I remember just laying in bed, and i do my nighttime prayer. And I, and I just had the same old prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd be with my mom, my dad, uh, my brothers, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles. And I just had this whole litany of people I prayed for. And it was almost like I was auto-driving. Like I was on autopilot. I, like for years, I would just hop in my car, and my car would drive me straight to work. And sometimes I don't even know how I got there. And my prayers were the same way. I'd start my prayers and I'd end up at amen. And I have no idea how I got there or even what I said. I got tired of prayer because I was saying the same old things about the same old things. But what we do whenever we read Scripture and we pray Scripture back to God, it gives us new words to pray. It gives us new things to pray back to God. And when we are praying God's Word back to Him, do you think He's looking favorably upon that? Do you think God is saying, yes, yes, I I want my will to be done. I I like that. Of course he is. So to to have confidence in our prayers, what we need to make sure we are doing is that we are praying prayers that are in accordance with his will, with an accordance to his desire. We need to pray scripture. Not only that, but if we want to make sure we're praying scripture, we have to make sure that we are setting aside time in our day to pray. Many times people fail to pray because they don't plan to pray. Do you have a time in your day when you say, this is my prayer time? This is when I'm going to the Lord in prayer. I'm protecting this time. Because you know what happens is whenever, whenever we start the day, the day takes over. And it, our day runs us. And so we have to make sure we're setting that time aside, that we're in God's word, and we're praying God's word back to him. Jesus is calling us to have genuine prayers. He's also calling us to have confident prayers. Confident prayers. Let's look at this, the verses 6, 7, and 8. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles and say, imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things that you need even before you ask Him. We need to pray confident prayers for our God. If praying genuine prayers means we're not putting on a show to other people, praying confident prayers means that we're not putting on a show for God. Whenever he was saying you don't want to stand on the street corners and put on a show, then he says you don't want to babble like the Gentiles who think that they will be heard because there are many words. It makes me think of an Old Testament story in the book of First Kings chapter 18. Anyone know the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? That Israel, God's kingdom, was being ruled by an evil king, and, and his and his evil wife and they restricted the worship of God. They killed the prophets of God. And they instituted this new God in Israel. This God named Baal. And there was one prophet of God who is proclaiming the truth. And he basically set up a contest. He called the king, he called the queen, said, Why don't you call your prophets of called 450 prophets together and he said let's have a contest to see who God is real. Your God or my God. Let's see who's real. Let's see who's the God of Israel. And he said this is what we're going to do. You're going to set up your offering over here with your burnt sacrifice and I'm going to set up my altar over here with my burnt sacrifice. You're going to pray and I'm going to pray and we'll see whose God hears and answers their prayer. And so the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, continues on. You really gotta read this. If you've not read this, read it. it, it it's, it's an amazing story. So the prophets of Baal, what do they do? They start sacrificing the bull. It's on the altar. They're, they're dancing, they're yelling, they're calling out, they're they're babbling their many words. And you know what happens? Nothing. And so you know what I love, Elijah. You know what Elijah starts to do? He just starts to mock them. He just really starts to dog them. He says, maybe you need to dance more wildly. Maybe maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe your God can't hear you. He says, you know, maybe your God heard you, but maybe he's just thinking it over, and he hasn't decided yet. He says, maybe, maybe he's wandered off for the moment. Keep yelling. He'll come back. He'll hear you. He'll answer you. Or maybe he's on the road. Maybe, Maybe even he's sleeping. And he's just mocking them time and time again about how their God is not answering their prayers. Many words, much fanfare, no response. There's a drought in Israel, and so Elijah calls some servants, and he says, here's my burnt offering over here. I want you to go get these big buckets of water, dig a trench around my altar, and I want you to start pouring barrel after barrel after barrel onto this burnt offering. Water was a precious resource. We said, I want you to do this. And they do that, and then it tells us that Elijah prays one simple prayer to God in heaven. And we are told that fire from heaven came down and consumed his offering. Amazing story. And in typical biblical fashion, he then takes a sword and kills all the prophets of Baal. So if you like if you like exciting stories, go read First Kings. It's amazing. But what, what was happening here? It's not that, that the many words and the many rituals that they did brought about the pleasure of God. He didn't have to get the right phrases. He didn't have to get the right words. But what was it? it well, to some extent, it was Elijah's theology on display. That he trusted that God was good. He trusted that God was able. He trusted that God was willing to do that which he did. And as a result, he saw God's work, his power work. We have to realize that also our prayers are our theology on display. Through our prayers, we are saying what we believe about God. So let's, let's take a little bit and talk about what do we believe about God. We believe, like Elijah before us, that our God is able that he hears our prayers i'm i just finished listening to a podcast I, anyone here a fan of history podcast i really recommend it's called hardcore history it's amazing uh, he has num, number of number of different episodes on different parts of history you'll get frustrated cuz he puts it out every few months instead of like every week uh, he just is doing one on on World war war 2 and on the history of japan on that eastern front it's fascinating and he just finished telling the story of of the Battle of Bataan. Have anyone ever heard this story, Battle of Bataan? What was going on? The war was just gearing up. Uh, Pearl Harbor had been bombed. We were pretty good friends with the Philippines, uh, to, to phrase it in one way. And so we had a number of troops there in the Philippine Islands. And there was this danger, the danger of Japan coming through and removing the U.S. from the Philippines and taking over that whole South Pacific region. But we had a number of troops with our Filipino allies there on the islands. But what happened is the Japanese came in and they just destroyed everything. They moved quicker and more, they moved more quickly and more powerful than anyone expected. And we just had to retreat and retreat and retreat and retreat, retreat back until finally we made a stand in Bataan. And on Bata- this island of Bataan, this one little region, the forces stood up to constant bombardment and constant attack for three months. The general at that time was General Douglas MacArthur, and we are told daily, multiple times a day, he would send for aid, he would send for help, he would send for reinforcements. We need we need, he hated the navy, but he he called for the navy. He's like, send the navy, send some send some airplanes, send reinforcements, send send anything to help us out. But you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. In part because the U.S. was not able to send any help. Our fleet had been decimated at Pearl Harbor, so there was no fleet. There were no stores of other troops that could move in for reinforcement. There were no airplanes to help because our, our, our aircraft in the Pacific were, was much more behind that of Japan's. They destroyed us for a while. Uh, and, and, and then you say, well, what about allies? But all the allies were, were in worse case scenarios than we were in. There was no help to be sent. And as a result, they were defeated and they had this long death march. Uh, where they had cruel and horrific conditions. Oftentimes, I feel like that's what we're thinking of with prayer. That if we are doubting God's ability, we think, I'm I'm just going to pray this, but I don't really think it's going to happen. I don't think God cares. I don't think he is able. And that might be what we believe. And so we fall back and we quit praying. But we have to realize our God is able Our God is powerful. This is what Psalm says in Psalm 147. Psalm 147 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the number of stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power, and understanding. His understanding is infinite. Our God is able, powerful. So when you pray your prayers, you can pray confidently, that God not only hears them, but He is able to answer them in the way that is best for you. Not only do we believe that God is able, but we believe that God is good. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9-11. through 11. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Our God is not only powerful and able, but He is also a good and loving Father. And those of you who are parents know this, but don't you know what's best for your children? I mean, we just had Halloween. If I answered every request of my children, their teeth would rot out. They, they would just be throwing up because all they're ingesting is sugar. Not even good stuff. Like, at least eat the chocolate. But you're eating like the sweet sugar stuff. Why? Because oftentimes we don't know what's best for us. And so what does a loving parent do? What does a loving father do? The loving father gives to his children the things that they need. The things that will help them. The things that will be best for them. We have to realize that our God is the same. That our God knows our needs. He is powerful and hears them, and he will actually give us what we need. There's an old... I'm not a fan of Garth Brooks. I think Garth Brooks killed country. When I was in high school, he. I, I have a whole theory on this. I can tell you later. He and I ruined it all. Um, but I have a... I, I'll tell you my theory later, but, but he had this song when I was in high school, and you probably heard it, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. You, you remember that song? And it's all about how he went to this hometown football game, he saw the girl that he always prayed that he would marry when he was in high school, and he's like, man, I'm so glad God didn't answer my prayer. His theology was on display in that song, because the truth of the matter is, God does hear our prayers. But because He is good, He answers our prayers in a way that is best for us and best for His kingdom. So if you don't get what you ask for in your prayer, we have to have faith and we have to trust that God answered in such a way that was good for His kingdom and good for you. And sometimes that means you're going to go through the ringer, sometimes that means you're going to suffer and you're going to go through trials. But God, who's good and is powerful, looks and knows what's best for you. God is good, God is able, and we also see that God is willing. We have Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through eight. There it is. Ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks, find. And the one who knocks the door will be open. And we have this knowledge that God is willing. God is able to do the good that we need to be done. He is present. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble, the Scripture tells us. Whenever you pray, what is revealed about your theology? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that He is powerful? Do you believe that that He is willing and able to be there for you? If your answer is no, you know what we need to do. We need to repent. Because if we don't believe in God's goodness, his ability, his power, then we don't know God very well yet. My favorite prayer in scripture is a prayer of a man who needed some healing done. He goes to Jesus. He says, I need your help. And Jesus said, well, do you believe? And this man's response, I think, should be our response. He says, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. That's the prayer we all need to pray. Father, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. I know that you are able, that you are good, that you are willing, but part of me still lacks that trust in you. I believe, help my unbelief. How do we help our unbelief? I think we help our unbelief by recounting what God has done, by talking about what God did with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, by talking about what God has done in our own lives. So one of the things I want you to do at lunch, one of the things I want you to do next time you go to one of your community groups, your discipleship groups in our church, one of your next time you're at lunch with a believer, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask a question of each other. How have you seen the Lord answer prayers in your life? How have you seen that? So I want you to be thinking about that today. I want you to be thinking about that over lunch. And I want you to ask each other that question. How have we seen the Lord answer prayers in our life? And I think that by talking about that, what it does is it increases our faith in this belief in God's ability. And I think if you need an example, I think you can just look around this room. Think about this. We have prayed fervently and for months that God would plant a church in Harker Heights. And that's exactly where we are. Praising His name, preaching His word, proclaiming His goodness. God is powerful, He is willing, He is able. And as we look at our lives and as we share these stories, it will increase our faith. Let us recall God's work together. And I'd like to end by one encouragement. Do not give up on prayer. Do not give up on prayer, but look at these next three weeks as we are going through this passage As as like a school of prayer where you're coming on Sundays, you're hearing the Word, you're getting instructions, and then you're applying it to yourself throughout the week. And your goal and your prayer is, Lord, I pray, but help. Help my prayers. I pray, but help my prayers. Begin to set time aside. Begin to pray the Word of God back to Him. Get Donald Whitney's book on prayer and say, I'm going to spend this next week reading it. And we're going to be going through that book and our discipleship groups anyway, so you'll have to have it anyway. So just get get a pre-read going on. That's my encouragement to you. Let's go ahead and stand and pray.